You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. For digging deeper on June 8th, 2018 from the Hands at Work Hub in South Africa, Melissa Warren speaks about accountability, exposing, confessing, and living in the light. Well, good morning, everybody. Ah. So Kat and I were planning to go to Pretoria last weekend, which some of you know. Um, and we, we are both co-workers, and as co-workers, we've agreed that we submit to one another and submit to the council of many. So even if we are considering popping away for a weekend and being away from, from the hub or from Coachelli, we surrender that to the co-workers because we want to make sure we take ownership for the community and we want to make sure there's coverage for us while, while we are out that other people can take care of the needs of the community. Now, I agree with this. I bought into this. I, I love being a co-worker. It is a privilege and a responsibility to steward. However, <laughs> there was a very human part of me that reared its head, um, its ugly head, I guess, um, that started to justify, well, why should I have to ask? You know, I felt a bit defensive. It's a weekend, right? I should be able to do what I want to on the weekend. The community should be okay for a couple of days. Um, I think I give my life for this ministry. I think I can feel entitled to, hey, surely I can take off a, a Saturday and a Sunday. You know, often Zambia, I can think, well, I work a lot of weekends. I do bits and pieces. There were many things that were popping up and I'm not proud of those things. Um, but I want to share to say that I'm human and I think we all have these types of responses at times. And so I guess as Levy suggested this on the Monday, as I'd been wrestling through this thing, we did submit our plans to the co-workers. And of course they said, yes, absolutely, go have a great weekend. Things will be fine. Um, but I guess it hit a nerve with me when Levy said, I want to share on being accountable. And I said to him, I don't, I don't think I'm the right person to share on this. I don't feel like I've got this sorted in my own life to be able to share. So... I say that to share. I'm not coming to you from a position today that I have accountability altogether, not by any means. Um, believe me, there are many areas I still need to grow. Um, but I think with all of our core values, I think sometimes we can think, oh, well, you know, yeah, I think I've got that one. Tick it off. Okay, I don't need to worry about that anymore. Okay, move on to the next one. Oh, tick that off. But I think with our core values, they're a continually evolving sense of God wants to continually call us deeper into each of these things. So our core values are basically, they're not just nice things we kind of made up and thought, oh, it'd be good, good to live by those. It's actually how we read the Bible and how we feel that Christ is speaking to us as followers of him as how we're called to live our lives. And so that's where we've picked them from. That's why we follow them. And that's why we continue to seek to live them out. You know, as followers of Christ, we're called to be shaped continually more and more into his likeness. Anyone taking notes, you can jot down 2 Corinthians 3.18 for that reference. And so I was thinking about, I have shared on accountability in the past, and I was kind of like, well, I've shared on it before, and eesh, God's doing something here, and I don't know if I want to share that. Um, but God continues to call us deeper into each of these things as, as we walk with him and as he, he reveals more of his character and nature to us. So, I 
I guess I want to encourage us all not to switch off this morning. Um, There can be a danger, I think, as a more mature Christian or as we've been around hands longer, that maybe we think, yeesh, accountability. Well, I've heard that before. What could, you know, God possibly speak to me this morning? I know what it means to be accountable. I feel like I'm doing that okay, you know. Um, But I actually think there's a greater danger as we've heard more of these messages and as we're around these words and these topics continually, that we can become a little bit desensitized. We can let pride creep into our heart a little bit. And before we know it, we can think, yeah, I'm submitted to accountability. But actually, we can become hardened and we cannot be letting people speak into our lives. And I think the dangerous thing is we can give off the appearance of being accountable but deep in our heart, we've actually built up some walls. So I feel like that's what God's been challenging me on specifically. And maybe it's not anyone else here. Maybe you guys have got this. But uh, yeah, journey with me today. We'll see. We'll see what God wants to do for us. So to remind ourselves, accountability, it's a big word. We throw it around a lot. We're going to have this a little bit interactive. We want to hear from people. What's accountability? Let's, let's hear some thoughts. When you hear the word accountability, what does it mean? Living in the light. Living in the light. Mm, I like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being vulnerable to someone else. Absolutely. Being able to answer for your actions. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, yeah. It's not about us at all, is it? It is about others. Yeah. Mm, good thoughts. Anything else burning? People's hearts? I think what's the beginning of the saying that needs to be thinking of patterns and things like that. If you put plans of action or whatever, I think mm. actually doing that and not Yeah, big thing. Following through on what we said we would actually do. It's a big one. Um, yeah, I found an article that referred to accountability like this, and it was helpful for me. So I'm going to read these words because I think it painted a really good picture. What you've said is all true, and I think bits of those thoughts will pop up throughout this time. Um, But just to read this, by accountability, we are not talking about coercive tactics, the invasion of privacy, or bringing others under the weight of someone else's beliefs or legalism or manipulative or dominating tactics. Rather... By accountability, we mean developing relationships with other Christians that help promote spiritual reality, honesty, obedience to God, and genuine evaluation of one's walk and relationship with God and with others. We are talking about relationships that help believers change by the Spirit of God and the truth of the Word of God through inward spiritual conviction and faith. I like this part. Being what we are, sheep that are prone to wander, accountability to others is simply one of the ways God holds us accountable to him. Left to ourselves, there is the great temptation to do mainly what we want rather than what God wants and what is best for others. So what is meant by accountability? We are talking about teaching, exhorting, supporting and encouraging one another in such a way that promotes accountability to Christ and to others in the body of Christ but never by manipulation or domination. And my slight addition to the end is that it should always be motivated by love. Um, I think that 
I, I won't add to that. I think it speaks well. But I also just want to mention on accountability in hands that accountability is two ways in hands. Now, I know that's not always the way of the world or maybe what we've experienced. Um, often accountability is presented as a bit of a top down. So yes, of course, you're going to be accountable to your boss and your boss will be accountable to his boss. But in hands, we live in that upside down kingdom and accountability is actually a two way street. As a hands leader, I'm responsible to hold to account those who I'm serving. But those who I'm serving also have just as much right to speak into my life and to challenge and hold me accountable. So it's a two-way commitment and responsibility. No one gets out of this. <laughs> it's got to go both ways. Um, you know, I'm called to follow, we're all called to follow Christ's example as humble servant leaders in whatever capacity we're operating in. And I recognize Levy's my leader and he's got a right to hold me accountable and speak into my life and I give him full permission for that. But just as much, a young guy like Dawson, who's much younger in years and in his Christian walk and even in his experience of hands, has just as much right to speak and hold me accountable if he sees something in my life. And so I think it's important that it's a two-way. It's not a one-way. And we have a responsibility to hold those who we report to, you know, report to, you know, we've got a responsibility to one another in this community, regardless of position or station, to hold one another accountable. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I hear the word accountability, it's often I feel uncomfortable. Does anyone else feel a bit nervous, feel a bit like, oh, I don't really, I don't know if I really like accountability. Why, again, interactive, why do we think that is? Why do we, why do we shy away from it naturally? Why is it hard sometimes? It's not doing what we want to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what we want to do, what I want to do, true. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I got two. We don't want to take ownership. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, true. We are. There's a sinful nature in us. Alicia? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Thanks, guys. I think that's all true. When I asked myself that question, I was like, for me, I feel exposed. I feel like, you know, Accountability exposes my weaknesses and my vulnerabilities. I don't want people to see that because I'm proud. I want to give the appearance that I've got it together. I want to be liked. I want to have people's approval. It feels good when people praise me and think, hey, yeah, she's great. She's got it all together. I don't. Um, yeah, I think we're conditioned in our culture. Well, certainly I'll speak to the Australian culture because that's mine. But um I think we're, cult, uh, we're conditioned to appear strong, successful, competent. If we show vulnerability or dependence on others, it's considered weakness in our culture. I think part of it's also rebellion. I think since the fall of man and in our fallen sinful nature, rebellion crept into the world. And as Kat said, we want to do our own thing. I don't want input from others. I think it stems from, well, I know best. It's my life, right? I, I know what's best for me. So 
why do we need accountability? I want to suggest, well, a few, throw a few thoughts around. For one, I don't know, I can't see my own blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. I can't see them and I need others to see them and call them out. We talk much in hands about there's wisdom in the counsel of many. And so that's where we invite accountability into our decision making to help us see those things we can't see ourselves. I believe as Christians, we should be our brothers and sisters keepers. Um, I think accountability, I, you know, I think we've, I think it can be presented as a very negative content, but I don't, concept, but I don't think that's what God ever intended. I actually think it's something that protects us if we embrace us because it covers our weaknesses. It covers our blind spots. And I think it's a key way that God uses to grow us as Christians. I think, you know, allowing people to speak into us, that's where we see the most, the most growth. But mostly I was reminded of Paul's words um, in Romans 7. And I'm going to read just a chunk of scripture because I think it's good to be reminded that none of us are above sin. <laughs> none of us are so holy that we can't not fall into, into great sin. We're all capable of it. And I love Paul's words. I'm going to read from the New Living, chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. And it says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I think that says it all. <laughs> we want to do what is right. We want to do what is good. But there's a sinful nature at war within us that <laughs> inevitably I end up doing the things that I don't, don't want to do. So I want to look at a part of King David's story today. I love David. He's my five favorite character in the Bible for sure. Um, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm drawing from the story that happens in 2 Samuel chapters 10 through 12. So you're welcome to note that down and go and look at it. But I think it's a, they're passages we should all be mostly familiar with. So in chapter 10, the Israelites are battling against the Ammonites in a series of conflicts and situations. There's a lot going on there. 
But basically, at the end of chapter 10, the Ammonites have fled from the Israelites, knowing they couldn't win. They run back to their city of refuge. The battle ceases. Because basically, it comes to winter. And historically, in Old Testament times, the armies did not go out to fight wars in the winter. The conditions were too harsh. The battle would not be successful. If they had to go out and siege a city and were camping out in the freezing cold, not good conditions for fighting. So in the winter, the armies would retreat, go back and rest for the winter season, and then come spring, they would resume their campaigns. So that's what happens at the start of chapter 11 when we open up um, chapter 11. There's unfinished business with the Ammonites. David didn't finish the campaign. They retreated back. And so we, it opens that chapter saying, okay, it's springtime now when the armies can go back out to war. Now, it was also the king's mandate. I think now we might think of it differently. But in the Old Testament time, it was the king's responsibility to lead his army out into battle. He was the one who was meant to be on the front lines fighting the war, not sitting back in the castle directing things from a distance. Um, so we know the story well, I think, most of us, about David and Bathsheba. We know that in that first verse, we hear that although it was time for the army to go out to war, David sent his men out to fight the Ammonites, but he remained in Jerusalem. Now at this point in the story, if we look at where David's come from so far, he has already become a great king and leader of his people. He's been very successful in battle. Saul had killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. Um, he's respected and loved by his people. He's God's chosen and anointed leader. He's famously the only person in the Bible who was labelled a man after God's own heart. You think, wow, David's got it all together. Um, yeah, Israel at this time was living in relative peace and safety. There were these few other battles going on to secure parts of the land they hadn't yet conquered. But basically, Israel had been winning battles, were living in safety and peace. The Ark of the Covenant, which at that time, remember, was the presence of God dwelling with his people. That, a few chapters before, had been restored to Jerusalem. Things were well. David was on point, so to speak, as a leader, I think. Um, and so we think at this point, how could such a mighty man of God fall into so much sin? <coughs> He's human, I guess. Hey? Um, maybe I'm reading into too much of what is not said here. But what I was struck by was the thought that when we see David in that, making that decision to send his army out to war and for him to remain behind in Jerusalem, we don't see anyone challenging him. We don't see anyone saying... Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, I don't know. But we don't see anyone saying, hey, David, you're the king. This is the season for battle. Shouldn't you be out there leading the men? I know, we see it in other points in the story around those chapters that Joab, who is the leader of David's army at that time, he does challenge David at time and says, you should come out now because otherwise the victory won't be yours. Sometimes David listens to him, sometimes he doesn't. You know, that's okay. But at this point, we don't see or hear anything like that. And it just made me ponder that maybe, you know, in his pride as a leader at that point in his life, he'd got to a strong position. Maybe he felt like he didn't need people to speak into his life. Maybe he thought he had it all together, certainly looked like it. Maybe he felt entitled to make his own decisions, <coughs> even if maybe they weren't the best decisions. But I think we're familiar with what happens next, right? The story, he should just kind of snowballs. I feel like, you know, David's rest, he's restless at night, so he's wandering on the rooftop. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. 
He could have at that point stopped looking, but he doesn't. He continues looking, right? And lust burns in his heart, so he calls his servant to go find out who is that beautiful woman. He finds out that she's married. She's not just married to anyone. She's actually married to one of his mighty men, one of his warriors, Uriah. At this point, he still could have stopped, but he says, nope, bring her to my palace. We know he commits adultery with her. She subsequently falls pregnant. He then tries to cover up his sin by calling Uriah back from battle, sending him home to the family and saying, you know, Uriah, go home to your wife. You know, you've been doing well. Go and, go and enjoy this night and then I'll send you back out. But we know Uriah is such a noble soldier that he's like, I can't go into my wife while my men are out there on the front lines. So I'm going to sleep on the doorstep. And so that doesn't work. So we know David then sends the kill order for Uriah to be put on the front lines of the battle so he will be killed. And then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. So, heesh, David, (laughs) we're all capable of it. Um, But I think thinking of this story, the scariest part for me is that David didn't even recognize his own sin until God had to send Nathan the prophet to knock on his door and open his eyes to his sin. You think, eesh, lust, adultery, murder, didn't even see it. I want to suggest sin has a way of blinding us. You know, David started with being in the wrong place at the wrong time when he should have been somewhere else. Yeah, lust, adultery, murder. And then chapter 12, Nathan the prophet comes knocking on his door, tells a story to which David gets outraged that how could this parable, how could this happen? And then David realizes the story is actually speaking to his heart. And I've written here, I need people to speak into those dark areas of my heart because maybe they're so dark, I'm even blind to them. I think like you shared, um, Farzam, it's, it's the darkness in us. And I want to suggest that sin grows in the dark unless it's exposed to the light. But there is hope. I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 8 to 14. It says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. So we have a choice to make. I think we can choose to take the road of being a lone ranger, to walk this life in Christ, pioneering, thinking we don't need anyone else. We can go it alone. We can resist people speaking into our lives. Or we can choose accountability. And I think it is a choice. We have to choose to let people in. Even if I feel exposed, even if I feel uncomfortable, even if it's painful, Um, to have those conversations. But biblical accountability should be life-giving. It must always be based in love and motivated by love. It's not driven by judgment or condemnation. Accountability, it's choosing to trust. 
trusting the godly men and women that God has placed in my life, trusting to allow them to speak and submitting to their wise counsel. I think in hands, our commitment and our accountability, we made a commitment in our nine commitments a couple of years ago to ask each other the tough questions. Now that's not just the tough questions when we go out to community. That's the tough questions here amongst ourselves, in our own lives, in our relationships with one another. It's choosing to allow that light to shine in and expose the dark places of our heart because once they're exposed, then they can start to be healed. James 5, 16 says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I suggest there are kind of, I feel like there's kind of two sides to accountability. There's kind of that intangible side of allowing people to speak into my character and my nature and the things that are a bit more hidden in a sense because they're inside me. And there's also a very practical and tangible side to accountability. I was thinking about on the intangible or those hidden sides, you know, Ephesians 4.31 encourages us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Those are the things I think we have to be quite vulnerable and open with because people don't necessarily see them. And that is the one side of accountability that we are called to live out here in this community and as believers. There's also some very practical examples of ways that we hold one another accountable in hands. And maybe this is my Zambia service centre you know, support hat on. But, you know, things like returning our petty cash and our receipts on time. That's how we're being accountable and good stewards of the finances that we're given. Turning up to work on time, not leaving early. Again, that's how we're being accountable and a steward of our time and our human resource. And maybe you guys have got that sorted here, but that's some of the stuff we're talking about in Zambia today. (laughs) We've got areas to grow that side. Um, Our WhatsApp groups, you know, I think, well, service centres here, we certainly have a WhatsApp group with all our service centre leaders um, in our region and each service centre has a group and each person is asked to report in in the morning and in the evening as what are you planning for the day and then at the end of the day, how did it go? And I think kind of half of the reason for that is to know what one another is up to and to be able to pray for one another, but, you know, about half of that is also to hold one another accountable. Like you said, Carolyn, it's about those priorities, right? Where we, we say, okay, I'm going out to this community with this priority today and at the end of the day, well, how did I do with that? Did I do it? If I didn't do it, why didn't I do it? And I invite people to ask those questions of me because it's good for me. And just to remind ourselves, I think accountability is for our protection and for our growth. So I'm starting to wrap up. I do want to appeal to us all today that we must hold one another accountable, not just for our own sakes, but actually for our life. The lives of our children and our grannies in our communities are on the line. And I guess I want to, let me explain why, why I say this. So I visited Deduzo's family this week in Maluti. Um, and this family, some of you I think might know this family, but Oh my goodness, there are just so, there's so much brokenness in this family and so many different layers of dysfunction. And these children and this family have been on my heart and in my prayers all week and I will continue to carry them 
that way. Um, yes, and that's my side note. How are we doing with praying for our children and our caregivers and our care workers by name every day? We made that commitment, well, two October gatherings ago, and we were reminded strongly last October gathering. But I want to remind us, I hope we got up this morning and we prayed for children and caregivers and care workers by name. Um, side note. But as I've been reflecting on Deduzo's family, I think <laughs> the only answer I can come to is that Jesus needs to break into their hearts and their lives and it's only him that can heal and restore and transform their lives. Now, God uses us. We are the people going out to Deduzo and his families, the care workers, the service centre, the RST, people from the hub. We go out and God chooses to use us as, as fragile, broken creatures. But <laughs> I believe I can only be most effective when I'm actually allowing God to heal and restore and transform my brokenness first and foremost. And I think the way that God chooses to do that is largely through accountability. And so I have a responsibility <laughs> to be the best version of me that when I'm going out to the Deduzos, and we know he just represents, I could rattle off so many children's families um, that are desperately need of Jesus. But if I'm not allowing God to do a deep work in me, I can't, I, I go empty. I don't go taking Jesus to these families. So I think we are very uniquely placed in this community, which we can either see as a blessing or as a curse. If we're honest, let's be honest. Um, we are committed to holding one another accountable and speaking deeply into one another's lives. We love each other too much to allow anyone to remain the same. We want to see each person growing into their full potential. I really do believe that. And I think Hans is very unique in that sense. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. Because I think, yeah, I think of so many volunteers and team members that come and they think I was coming to serve Africa. And I know I've said this of myself, you know, God's done so much more in me than I feel like I've given out. But that's how how beautifully God is using this community and this ministry. But <laughs> it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. We're going to get defensive. It's going to feel painful at times. It's going to be rough. <laughs> um, but I trust But when the motivation for accountability is out of love, that it will bear fruit. And that's what we have to hold on to. So recently... We've been studying Ephesians 4 a little bit with our service centres in Zambia. That's why a few scriptures have come out of there today. But I love Ephesians 4.16. I've been coming back to it constantly. Um, and I will read it. It says, he makes the whole body, so this is talking about Christ, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Sorry. And I think I, I love the language. Maybe it's just this translation. But as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing 
and full of love. As I'm allowing God to do a deep transforming work in me, as I'm growing to my full potential, that has a knock-on effect because it helps other people grow and fulfill their potential and their place in the body and the body grows healthy and strong together. For me, that's the image and that's, that's what accountability, it helps us to grow. It helps us to find our fullness and our potential um, and to, to root out those blind spots, those sins, those weaknesses in us that Christ doesn't want as he's shaping us more and more into his likeness. So we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to one another, and we owe it to the Dezuzos and the families that we're serving in the communities. Because as we are healthy and growing, I trust, and as we pray for these families, God is ministering and working in their lives. And we can see it. I can tell you stories, amazing stories of God ministering and moving in situations that I thought were helpless, utterly helpless. But that's, that's for another day. Um, Yes. So maybe we can close our eyes this morning. And I just want to ask us some questions that we can think about as we close. I want to ask you this morning and myself this morning to really examine your heart. Are you honestly submitting to allowing others to hold you accountable and to speak into your life? And maybe you're letting people into some areas, but not other areas. Sometimes there are areas we feel safe and we keep other areas closed up. I want to ask, what are those dark areas of your heart and life that need to come into the light? I want to ask, have you built up walls over time, like me? And maybe you started off being accountable and letting people in. But over time, you've hardened your heart, you've built some walls, you've maybe cut some people out. Has pride kept crept in or a sense of entitlement or rebellion or bitterness or resentment? I want us just to take a few minutes with our Heavenly Father and just allow Him to speak to you this morning. Thank you for joining us. Double, double, double dot org.